Brew Strong is brought to you by morebeer.com, where a man can brew like a man. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think. Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. This is Bruce Strong. This is Jamel Zanishef along with my co-host, John Palmer. Howdy, everybody. And uh, today, a special day in uh, in Bruce Strong history. We're going to have a water ganza. Yes. <laughs> all water, all the time. <laughs> this is going to be the water talk uh, channel. For, for well, the foreseeable, hopefully it'll answer more questions than it generates. Well, we'll try, and and yeah. if it, and if it generates more questions, that's that's why we have the uh, live chat. So if you're listening live to the show, which is uh, all the Brewing Network uh, stuff is is broadcast live, you can participate by going to the uh, BrewingNetwork.com, and uh, there is a live chat button there. You can participate in the show. You can ask uh, questions. You can. Uh, uh, suggest things, things like that, uh, all there live during the show. And uh, if you get a chance, visit our uh, wonderful sponsors, uh, More Beer uh, and MoreBeer.com. They uh, have a lot of great uh, brewing products, great prices, and a uh, great bunch of people there. That's where my uh, brewing uh, sculpture came from, is uh, MoreBeer.com. I've got their uh, 1550, and uh, I personally uh, love that, that, that uh, product and love those guys. Good people there. And wow, talk about setting up a segue. That was, that was pretty good, Jamil. Just... <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not done yet. Um, <laughs> okay. we actually, uh, we've got another sponsor for uh, today's show, Clark Brewing Innovations. Visit them at clarkbrewing.com. Yeah, so uh, like I was saying, we've got the Water Ganza today. We're going to do three shows back-to-back all about water. And uh, we've got John Palmer here, who uh, knows quite a bit about this subject, and he's going to get kind of give you an education on uh, on water. Uh, you know, front, starting from square one all the way to uh, you know how you uh, would uh, you know build water for a specific recipe. So, uh, yeah. what what kind of sparked this was um, uh, you know all the all the email questions we get, and you can email uh, you know. Uh, Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork.com uh, with uh, show uh, ideas and things like that. But uh, Mason, uh, who I've exchanged some emails with uh, in the past, he said, uh, Pope, I don't know if this show is already planned, but I was wondering if you could take an example recipe from Brewing Classic Styles and explain how to build a water recipe from DI water. So, uh, you know, he wants to, uh, you know, one of the things Mason was talking about was he, he thought his water was so horrible that he needed to um, be able to kind of start from scratch. And it, he felt if he didn't do that, he had very little chance of, uh, you know, replicating, like, the clones that we do on uh, the Can You Brew It show. Uh, you know, he, he felt that uh, the water was so far off that uh, it would be it would be next to impossible. So uh, that got uh, John and I to thinking, well, you know, here's a great opportunity to uh, kind of go – Maybe not just right to that point, but let's start at the beginning. Let's start with uh, the the very basics and, and work our way through there. And I think even if you you feel like you know a lot about water and uh, you know you're an advanced brewer, you you still will learn a lot just uh, kind of you know going over the basics. And, and maybe there's a few yeah. things that fundamentals that John can uh, can clear up for us and uh, be a good thing. Huh? Yeah, well, I'll work through it and. Uh Get in on the live chat if you have any particular questions that occur to you as you're, as you're going along. But yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, all three of these shows will will start out with the basics. Uh, you know, what is water? We'll get in the second show. We'll get into more about how to adjust it. And third show will be kind of like why to adjust it and when do you do it. Specifics for for more like recipe type of uh, uh, questions. As, right. as well, right? All right, so so um, I'm not going to ask you to define water because 
<laughs> Normal. Let me start with the definition of water. But oh, I had a great um, opening monologue joke too. Yeah, <laughs> t- fifteen minutes on why, what, what is water? Um, but uh, you know, uh, maybe you could kind of fill us in on. All right, I I know that I need to use water when I'm brewing beer, and it's a big part of of the ingredients that I add. Okay, but can you tell me, John? You know what is important about the water in beer? Why? Why is this important? Why can't I just use water? Okay, well, it's it's all about flavor. I mean, we want good tasting water to get good tasting beer. Um, you know, you, you listen to beer commercials; they talk about Rocky Mountain spring water and water from a better source. You know, we're not talking about water from open swim at the Y. You know, we're not, we don't want uh, water that's rich in chlorine and, and uh, nitrates and, you know, frogs and, you know, fish fish eggs and stuff. We want good, clean-tasting water so we can get good, clean-tasting beer. Okay, so even if you have uh, uh, water that's less than perfect, you can change that, right, and uh, right. make make better water for, for beer, or, or do you, does it, you know, are you kind of stuck? Do you brew only certain styles, or...? There, there's a couple of levels to this. Um, when it comes, you know, to basic brewing water for both extract and all grain brewers, I mean, you know, first concern is about taste. You want the water to taste good. Um, and ways you can help it taste good are like, you know, carbon filtration. Uh, it's such like, you know, like that that you can hook up to your home brewery or you can use DI water if necessary. Deionized. Deionized or reverse osmosis, RO water. But you know the first the first uh, cut is you want good flavor. Mm-hmm. When you go deeper, uh, no pun intended, you start looking at the mineral profiles. Um, and a lot of people, you know, when they change their brewing water, they're they're doing it for a couple of reasons. They're trying to maybe emulate a particular city in order to to brew a specific style of beer. But you know the bottom line is that. Whenever, whenever a brewer changes his water, his brewing water, he's after better flavor in the beer. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the course of these three shows is how does, you know, changing your water potentially improve the taste of your beer if you do it right? Well, and, and, um, and how is that? So, so, uh, you know, people are always, uh, you know, Burton on Trent water or, you know, the water of Pilsen or, you know, people, people, uh, are always focused on those types of water. But, uh, how does, uh, water adjustment improve the flavor of the beer or the flavor of the water? You know, how is it that, that making these changes, uh, uh, actually improves it? Yeah. There, there's a couple ways. Um, it's kind of like if compared to cooking, you know, Ask yourself, you know, why when we, you know, make dinner, we don't simply boil every food that we eat in plain water. You know, boiled sausages, boiled potatoes, boiled chickens. I mean, we're after some, and we add seasoning. We add salt to the water. We add, you know, spices to the water. Herbs. The same kind of thing carries over into brewing where we're going to add, we're looking for some flavor from that water, some uh, like salt, uh, some minerals in the water that will enhance the flavor of the beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, we, there's two ways that mineral uh, minerals and water and brewing enhance flavor. One is the minerals themselves, like sodium, chloride, sulfate. Uh, each of these, you know, has an effect on the flavor that we perceive from the beer. Uh, the other one is uh, the pH, and when you adjust your water, you you can adjust the pH of the water, and you can adjust the pH of the mash, and thereby the pH of the beer. And uh, the the pH of the beer, uh, whether it's acidic or basic, drives the flavor. It dr- drives how we as humans perceive the flavor of the beer on our tongue. Um, if it's a little acidic. That beer gets a little bit brighter and a little bit drier. If it's a little bit basic, the beer gets a little bit more mellow, a little softer. A little, and then if you you know increase if you as you move out from you know kind of a generally optimum pH range for beer at around oh in the low fours, 
as you get more acidic, you know, that's going to become sharper. That flavor is going to become sharper. As you move um, more basic um, into the higher fours, then that beer is going to start tasting, you know, rounder, then duller. And then as you get really high, then it can get almost bitter tasting um, from, a, you know, base, uh, an alkaline sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, pH does a lot to drive the flavor of foods and drive the flavor of beer. Well, and, and uh, you know, when you're talking about the difference between, uh, you know, acidic or basic uh, water, um, you know, one of the things that people might be familiar with is uh, when you have a, a more basic uh, solution, it, it actually gets uh, kind of a, a soft, uh, you know, um, slick kind of feel if you rub it between your fingers you can actually feel kind of uh it's almost uh soapy in a way and if you get a a real acidic water and and rub that between your fingers it seems dry and uh like there's nothing there and uh, Mm -hmm. a lot more uh you know uh, like you're saying the the difference between the base and the the acid uh balance uh the same thing carries over into the beer essentially that's what you're saying yeah 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 and it, it the, that characteristic kind of drives how your tongue perceives the flavors that are there, mm-hmm. and uh, so it, it, you can water can have a profound effect on beer. Um, there's the one there, I guess one handle we have, one lever we can pull when we're manipulating water uh, is the chloride to sulfite ratio, sulfate ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, chloride tends to be a malt enhancer. Uh, you know, kind of like salt in soup, um, chloride in beer tends to make the the uh, malt taste a little rounder, a little fuller. Mm-hmm. Um, sulfate has an effect of kind of drying out and accentuates the hot bitterness. And so, um, it's it, you can see in the professional literature, and they've had this for decades, where uh, manipulation of the chloride to sulfate ratio in the water helps drive the balance of the beer, whether it's to the malty side or to the bitter side. And there, there's a lot of other factors. And you know, Going back to our mouthfeel show, mm-hmm. a lot of other factors that enter into that overall perception of the, of the mouthfeel of the beer and so on. But uh, what well, we're talking about here is just kind of flavor censoring. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about chloride, which is different than chlorine, chlorine. in the water. Which uh, right. you, you want no chlorine in your water, which you might filter out or use uh, Camden tablets or something to uh, uh, you know get rid of the the, uh, the chlorine, chlorine in the in the water. But, and chloramine uh, too. And chloramines. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> chloride is something that uh, you do want in your water. Right. Yeah. You do. You, chloride is uh, is is great. I mean, as far as it's a it's a seasoning. Um, you can have too much, of course. You can make it too salty. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, anywhere from, uh, I believe it's, um, well, anywhere from like uh, zero to 250 parts per million, you know, that whole range will, uh, you know, add to the character of the beer to some, to some extent. Well, and I don't know, uh, I think I told this story before, but if you ever drink a beer with uh, some real old son of a gun, uh, Sometimes you'll see them. They'll they'll add salt to the beer. They say, "Ah, oh, you know, this beer is kind of harsh," and so they'll want to add salt to their beer. And and I think oh, it yeah. does a couple of things. One is it drives out some of the carbonation, but it also I think that the uh, the chlorides in there, like you're saying, will uh, uh, also uh, kind of uh, soften up the beer in in some ways. And uh, yeah, accent the malt, accentuate the malt character over the hop character mm-hmm. or the bitter the bitterness character. Yeah, right, that's right. right. So, uh, you know, if you ever, ever come across one of those old guys putting salt in their beer, you know that uh, there is some foundation in science for, for something like that, I guess. Yeah. Um, kind of ruins a good IPA, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but uh, you know, to, to each his own. Yeah. All right. So, so. Uh, well, all right. So we're going to be adding uh you can't really subtract these these minerals from the water can you i mean there's no uh like a a, a spoon you can work through the water and pull out uh, these minerals how do you yeah, no, i mean yeah. do you just just add or is there a time when you subtract too or how do you how do you strike that balance i mean we'll get it in more details into the in the second show but you know mm-hmm. you know basically how how does that happen yeah there's 
the, the situation differs a little bit between extract and all grain brewers. Um, generally, you know, in, in terms of extra, extract brewing um, instructions, people say if your water tastes good, your beer tastes good, just brew with what you have. Don't worry about adjusting it or anything. And, you know, as a general rule, that's that's usually true. Where you run into trouble is where uh, a, your water supply is highly alkaline, that is uh, rather basic, um, has lots of bicarbonate and carbonates in it. And what, if you add that water to, an, um, to extract, malt extract, you know, in the production of malt extract, they've already driven off the you know the pure H2O molecules. They left all the minerals behind, so you've got you've got kind of like a pre-mineralized extract. And if you you know rehydrate that with more highly uh, alkaline water, you know then you're going to really start you know affecting the flavor profile of that beer. And it's that beer you know I've, I've tasted it many times where you taste an extract beer that's just not bright. It's kind of dull tasting. Uh, sometimes they can be quite harshly bitter. Um, very similar to know, some brewers. So yeah, they're not very it, bright. It, that's right. It, it depends on depends on location. Depends on the recipe and a whole bunch of factors. But uh-huh. um, that's a situation you can run into with a uh, beer that is um, brewed with uh, highly alkaline water if, when you're working with extract. Well, and and and. Uh, one thing I think uh, we kind of touched on briefly earlier was, um, you know, deionized water, reverse osmosis water. Right. So, um, so, yeah, and so what to when, uh, that's, thank you for pulling me back on track. But when, so when you're, when you're brewing with that kind of water, you can't wave a magic wand through it to, you know, demineralize it. Uh, what you can do though is you can dilute it with distilled water. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will, you know, if you dilute it one to one, it effectively cuts your mineral levels in half. Uh, or you can, you know, and with extract brewing, you can safely brew um, any extract kit with deionized water mm-hmm. or, you know, distilled water mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, really the mineral profile is already in there. Right. So uh, one thing I think we should we should uh, kind of cover is, uh, you know, deionized and distilled and reverse osmosis. So these are really waters that have had uh, either all of the, the minerals removed or uh, the majority. In reverse osmosis, it's water's forced through a membrane and, you know, 95% of the, the minerals or, or so are, are removed, depending on, you know, how effective the membrane is. So it's it's very close to uh, distilled or deionized water. Uh, deionized, they uh, use ion exchange resins and things like that, and and strip everything out, and it pretty much comes out with zero minerals in it. And then uh, distilled is usually a steam distilled, which is they boil it, and then the, the water is collected uh, from the steam. And uh, just like when they're brewing uh, or evaporating the malt extract. And uh, concentrating it down, the steam being driven off is just pure water. All the minerals are left behind, and that's that's what John's uh, referring to here, with the the need to reconstitute that malt extract without adding a lot of extra minerals to it. So uh, again, uh, distilled water, and then spring water, which uh, a common thing a lot of people talk about. They they a lot of brewers are going to the the store, and they they've been taught their whole life, oh, spring water is really good. Uh, the the fact mm-hmm. is, that different spring waters can have a lot of minerals in them, and even more than probably your tap water uh, many times. And so, right. uh, you're going out and buying a, a water with a lot of minerals. Sometimes they'll even add minerals to these things. And uh, uh, you know, it's not necessarily the best thing for your brewing, especially if you're an extract brewer, uh, John. It seems to me you're saying uh, if I was at the store and I'm going to buy some water to use in my my extract brewing. If I if I have a choice between distilled or spring water, I should probably go with the distilled unless I'm trying to do something very specific and I know what the yeah. concentration of minerals are in that spring water. That's right. Yeah, if you if you know what the concentration of minerals in spring water is, uh, and you know it's going to depend on manu- on the the manufacturer. But if you know what they are, then you can you can factor that in. But if you don't know what they are, uh, you will. You'll be fine going with pure distilled water to to rehydrate that extract brew because all the minerals were you know already there. 
Okay. Well, why don't we take a short break, and when we come back, we'll get into, uh, you know, does this really work and, and how? Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Finn. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. And the new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew stand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kettles, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal, and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess. The The More Beer beer Deal deal of the day. Day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the more beer deal of the day at morebeer.com. Celebrity voices impersonated. Have some of your soldiers reported casualties? Are you tired of finding out your beers never made it to the competition because of shipping damage? Do you hate the hassle of packaging your bottles for the delivery services? How about making it easier for the overworked competition organizers who have to unwrap each entry and then discard the waste? Well, now there is a solution. The competition bottle shipping system is here. Now available at www.clarkbrewing.com and at select retail shops. Field tested with numerous shipments around the world and literally dropped down a flight of stairs with zero casualties reported to date. Designed by a home brewer for home brewers. Just grab the shipping box, place the bottom insert in with your bottles, and put the top insert on to lock them safely in place. You're ready to ship. Visit www.clarkbrewing.com for more details and to watch a video of the stair test. Clark Brewing Innovations, providing innovative solutions to the American homebrewer. Now just ship it. Homebrewers, listen up. Have you seen Mike McDowell's picture on that sweet Sam Adams six-pack? Well, it's your turn. Did you know that two prior long shot winners have gone on to become professional brewers themselves? It's time to enter this year's Samuel Adams Long Shot American Homebrew Contest. Jim Cook first brewed Samuel Adams Boston Lager in his kitchen using a 100-year-old recipe from his great-great-grandfather. This is your chance to have your handcrafted homebrew recipe distributed all across America. Be the next homebrewer on the Sam Adams Long Shot Six-Pack. This year's contest is going on right now, and you should be a part of it. Time is running out, though. All entries must be received between April 15th and May 1st. Go to samadams.com for all the details and to register your entry, which, by the way, is free. The Samuel Adams Longshot American Homebrew Contest. Giving back to where it all began. Enter today. Live. Beer Radio. The Brewing Network. The Brewcasters. If you're just starting, don't be discouraged by all this stuff. It's exactly. so easy. Just throw it yeah. together. You're Put some sugar and some water and some yeast in there. Yeah. Network. <laughs> <laughs> Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're in the middle of our water ganza. <laughs> and uh, we've been talking about uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, the, the fundamentals of water and, and, and why you'd want to make changes. And, and here's a question for you, John. So, you know, how how well does this water adjustment thing really work? I mean, how big a difference is it going to 
be for me just having uh, you know whatever my current tap water is to you know going through all the trouble of calculating what I need and uh, maybe Tweaking buying some bit, yeah. some water and and some some minerals and and making some gram accurate uh, measurements and all that uh, how big a difference could I expect well it makes it makes a pretty big difference um, I've been I've been looking at this for shoot long ten years now, and uh, I think it makes the difference between uh, scores in the 30s and scores in the 40s during competitions. It, is that it, in every style, or is it yeah. more towards I, one style of beer than another, or or one yeah, type of brewing versus another? Is it is it more important in all grain brewing than it is in uh, extract brewing? Yeah, it's it's more important in all grain than extract, but it really it it's, it blankets the whole the whole spectrum. Um, it again, you can make the argument that it's more important for the extreme styles like you know uh, pilsner and uh, very dark uh, beers such as robust porters and. Uh, double box and various you know extreme styles where you're looking for a really particular character. It's not so quite so important for um, pale ales and brown ales and amber ales and so on, where you can be you uh, kind of middle of the road stuff. But uh, I'll repeat, I think it makes a difference between scores in the 30s and scores in the 40s when you judge any beer of any style in competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a couple examples. Um, last year, I judged the uh, light lager character category at uh, national, and um, there is you know a bunch of uh, light American lagers, uh, standard American lagers, Dortmunder, Munich Helles in that category, and uh, it was one of those situations where you know the first beer in the flight, you know if it's a good one, you kind of you kind of hold back. You're saying, okay, that beer tastes really good, but we got a lot of other beers in this flight coming up. You know, kind of not uh, say this one's the best right away. I'll, I'll, it's a good beer, and we'll move on. As we tasted the rest of the beers in that flight, uh, that first beer kept standing out, and that was a light American lager. It had a, a light malt profile but a clean and bright malt profile. You know, there was, it was, you know, two row only, um, you know, no heavy flavors in there, but that flavor was bright. And as we went through the entire rest of the flight and all the other beers, um, we kept going back to that one. And uh, that beer, uh, brewed by Graham Cox, ended up winning the category. Now, you sure that wasn't just your love of, uh, uh, like, Keystone Light that, uh, that caused that to be the case? No, and I, I'm happy to say it wasn't. I talked to them afterwards, and uh-huh. I said, "Did you do water adjustment on that beer?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, I've been reading your book, and I, you know, I uh, brewed that with uh, distilled and added some, you know, uh, salts and you know, mm-hmm. gypsum and calcium chloride, and that's what helped punch up that character." And, you know, there are a lot of good beers in that category. I think we had like nine or mm-hmm. more in that category, but that one from a light, you know, stand, American lager. That one really stood out. Um, the year before, in the same category, Kristen England uh, took first place with a Munich Helles. And again, a Munich Helles is kind of a softer beer, uh, you know, soft, sweet malt profile. Um, and it's, you know, in the same category with some Dortmund or Export and the others, you know, where you could... You, could, you might expect judges to get a little bit swayed by a little fuller tasting, a little more robust tasting uh, beer later in the flight or wherever it happened to fall in the flight. But again, Kristen's a guy that knows water. He's uh, written the water section for the BJCP um, tests and uh, talked about water several times in the past. And he brewed that and uh, made that Munich Hellas stand above the rest of the beers in the category. Well, and I'd say this, that, uh, you know, the simpler the recipe, the more important, in my in my view of things, the, the more mm-hmm. important uh, your process and uh, your water is, 
because you look at it this way. Now, the the only way to brew something like uh, you know a municellus or a, any kind of pilsner, any of the any of the, uh, the lighter pilsners, uh, you know the American uh, light lagers, or you know you can add uh, you know corn or rice or something like that. But you know the the, the basic difference tends to be the process and the water because your your ingredients you know if it's all pilsner malt and some hops pretty much everybody else who's brewing that beer is doing all pilsner malt and you know some hops so yeah yeah you can do different hops and you know but your process really shines that's why a lot of times you'll hear uh, other brewers talking about how difficult it is to brew you know an american light lager you know how tricky a style that is because there's you know no room to hide the flaws and all that well i'd say a lot of people are able to overcome the flaws and get past the flaws, and they're not really having flaws in their brewing uh, uh, technique. But you know, they may need to uh, you know tweak the water, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's where the difference is going to be. That's where those those few points uh, that that make somebody a winner versus you know just part of the the pack of of you know really well brewed beers, but uh, not a standout. And I think that's that's what you're you're getting at, huh, John? Yep, that, I agree. That's that that is the point. Okay, so you know one one concern I always have when people start talking water adjustments, and I I've been uh, pretty pretty uh, passionate about this point is um, you know the, if you don't know what you're doing, don't screw with the water. You know it's one of the last yeah. things to start to adjust. You know try and figure out everything else, and you know get that you know get the basics of fermentation down and you know um, all that stuff down before you, you you go mucking about with the water, especially if you don't know what you're doing, because it's possible to make your beer worse, isn't it, with uh, with an improper water adjustment? Can't, oh, most definitely. Can I it's, cause problems? It, again, goes back to just like cooking, you know, too much salt uh, will spoil it. Um, I mean, if uh, one time I added, oh, I, I had a spaghetti sauce that was, I was you know, Family was due to arrive home really soon. And I was trying to make dinner. Spaghetti sauce, for some, whatever reason, was just too acidic. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'll add some baking soda. That's you know alkaline. It'll it'll should tone down the acidity of the sauce a little bit. I added like I don't know half teaspoon or a teaspoon to the of baking soda to the sauce, mm-hmm. and it changed everything. Mm-hmm. It was wretched. It was <laughs> there was no tomato sharpness. Like it was like. Eating a spoonful of tomato paste—I mean, there's just no acidity to it at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, when they got home, I said, "Hey, we're going out." <laughs> yeah, um, it just—it ruined it. I mean, and you can easily do the same thing by adding too much gypsum. You can add too much bicarbonate or chalk um, to your water really, really easily, and mm-hmm. uh, and ruin it. Well, and I was going to say the same thing. I make tomato sauce, uh, make my uh, spaghetti sauce at the. Uh, the, the family really loves and you know the uh the the source ingredients change through the seasons and time to time and uh sometimes your your source ingredients it it results in a much more acidic sauce and you need to kind of uh, and usually as far as i know uh most cooks use for adjusting their the acidity and their their um the apparent acidity in their uh, spaghetti sauce is some sugar and the sugar is Mm -hmm. really not doesn't affect the the acid levels, but um, just kind of sweetens it up a little bit to kind of mask those uh, versus uh, actually getting rid of some of the acidity, I guess. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, And I've overdone it with the sugar sometimes. Where you end up feeling like, this is really sweet. What'd you do? Uh, well, you know, you got to be careful on those adjustments because you can just as, as, as easily as, or easier than making it better, you can make it worse. Right. That's right. So it's important right. to understand what you're doing uh, when you're making an adjustment. Now, if you if you just want to play around and you know throw in a teaspoon of gypsum and see what kind of difference it makes, you know, side by side on a couple of beers, uh, yeah, that's all fine. But uh, I think uh, you know what John's trying to do is is teach everyone to uh, really you know understand what you're doing and why you do it and how to go right. about it. So right. now you kind of touched on this earlier, but what specifically is it in the water that we need to adjust? We're not adjusting hydrogen and oxygen molecules. We're adjusting uh, what is it? What's what's the the minerals, the salts that that we are adjusting? Right. It's um, there's there's calcium and magnesium, which are your hardness minerals. 
people often talk about, you know, my water is really hard or my water is soft. Well, it's the, the, the what we call the cations or the, the positive metal ions that are your water hardness ions. And principally in water, that is calcium and magnesium and mostly calcium. Uh, magnesium typically exists at about uh, one-third to one-quarter of the concentration of calcium. Um, the uh, other ions that you get are sodium and chloride, uh, sulfate, and then the big alkalinity ion is uh, bicarbonate or, or the carbonate family. Now, uh, carbon dioxide you know, in the atmosphere diffuses into water, forms carbonic acid. Uh, when that, depending on the pH, that will either exist as carbonic acid or bicarbonate, which is HCO3, or uh, carbonate, which is uh, CO3. And uh, different, you know, different forms and different ratios of the, of the form of the three forms of the carbonates will be uh, predominant at different pHs. For and most, this is like a, a temporary hardness, right? Something uh, that, uh, yeah, yeah, you can talk about it that way. Mm-hmm. I think and, I think if you and, get wrapped up in mm-hmm. temporary versus permanent hardness, mm-hmm. uh, you're you're gonna kind of get a little sidetracked. Okay. So, well, because uh, when you boil the water, it, it changes right. the pH, it drops out some some uh, some salts, and uh, yep. affect, affects it that way. And and one thing you were mentioning uh, just a moment ago was you know the the carbon dioxide in the air it's it's actually uh, you know dissolves into the into the water and um, you know this is uh, you, you're not saying that it's carbonated water like bubbles coming out of it but right. whatever gases are in the air do dissolve into the water and that's in there and this is 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 producing some of this uh, uh, bicarbonate and uh, other other uh, forms of the uh, carbonic acid and right. uh, things like that, right? Yeah. I, th- I think everybody's heard that uh, pure water has a pH of 7. You know, pure distilled water has a pH of 7, you know, right neutral on the pH scale. Uh, the pH scale, just to refresh everybody, is um, 0 to 7 is acidic and 7 to 14 is basic or alkaline. Um, and, you know, pure water, distilled water, has a pH of 7. Well, you think, okay, where can I get distilled water? Well, oh, rainwater. Uh, you know, rain condenses the atmosphere, falls down, you know, pure. It hasn't gone through any measures with anything. But the pH of rainwater is 5, and it's due to the carbon dioxide that it picks up from the air, forms that carbonic acid. Now, and uh, when you... In fact, when uh, you let distilled water sit around, expose the air for any length of time, or after a few weeks, uh, let's say, it uh, the pH changes away from seven, and they can either, depending on, you know, the environment, it can either drift uh, acidic or basic. Um, but uh, there's the the carbonate species are the big driver in terms of brewing chemistry. You have your water hardness and you have your water alkalinity. You're, and as you're, you were saying, Jamil, you have people refer to permanent hardness and temporary hardness. Temporary hardness is the hardness or the, is when you boil the water and you get chalk precipitating out onto the sides of the pot. That's calcium carbonate um, and what you, and magnesium carbonate. And due to the action of boiling and the incorporation of additional oxygen from the atmosphere during the boil, you know, rolling through, you can get uh, these precipitation reactions going on. And you precipitate out, precipitate out a certain percentage of your calcium and magnesium. And that is referred to as temporary hardness. Um, you will still have left behind uh, a, uh, like a one equivalent worth of calcium. Um, and that is referred to as permanent hardness. And that permanent hardness, the calcium and magnesium, are typically associated with sulfate. Sulfate doesn't precipitate out. And so uh, you can, again, I think this can kind of get you off on the wrong track, but you can talk about permanent hardness being uh, the coordination of calcium and magnesium with sulfate. But I think it, it, but it really isn't 
that germane uh, to brewing. What you're concerned about is the total water hardness that you have in your brewing water versus the total alkalinity. And uh, when you when and as you, we, we can talk about minerals and ions like calcium, magnesium, chloride, and sodium, and bicarbonate, but it's not until you put them together and put them in together with respect to a malt bill that the true picture emerges. Um, and that picture is called residual alkalinity. You, what, what happens is you have the water hardness balancing against the water alkalinity and the natural acidity and buffering capacity of the malts that you're using, the particular grain bill that you're using. All of those three uh, factors come together it's like balancing a triangle. Those so, three things determine your mash pH. Right. So it drives so, the beer pH and not everything else down the line. So you really can't do, you know, if somebody says, John, tell me how to adjust my water, uh, you know, for the next time I brew, you're going to say, well, you know, what are you brewing? What's the, what's the right. grain bill? You know, what, what, what are you planning on brewing? Because without that information, uh, you're missing part of that triangle. You're, you're missing a big component of, of yeah. how, uh, the water is going to be affected by, by the grains that you're adding. Yeah. I was trying to think of a good analogy earlier to help people get this, but, you know, you can talk about your ions and your minerals and a, the, and the water profile from a classic brewing city. But, you know, that's like talking about guns and ammunition or talking about the players. It's not until you combine those with, you know, somebody directing the fight, you know, somebody directing uh, the war that you put everything together because you may, you may win a few battles here and there by adjusting your water. But until you understand how it all comes together and understand what residual alkalinity means, you're not going to win the war. You're not going to have a complete understanding of of what is going on. And that's that's what I try to talk about when people ask me about water. You've got to you got to think of that triangle. You've got to think of your water, you know, the water you're brewing with, its hardness, its alkalinity, mm-hmm. and the malt bill that you're working with uh, because that's going to drive the eventual pH of the beer. It's going to drive drive the eventual mineral profile of the beer and and the final flavor of that beer. Okay, well, so, yeah, I got a better one for you. All right, so okay. it's kind of like uh, you know, if somebody said, "Well, what's the best uh, car for uh, or a combination of uh, engine and uh, you know chassis for a race?" And yeah. you know, you could say, "Well, you know, uh, you could talk about all sorts of different kinds of uh, engines and chassis uh, for a race and suspension and things like that." But until you know what track you're going to run on, what kind of race it, it, you're going to run. Uh, you know, you, is it off-road race? Uh, you know, is it are you, you running the Baja or you you running the Indy 500? You know, it's two totally different types of cars, and right. so you're going to need a different kind of engine, different kind of kind of chassis in order to do that. And and brewing's the same sort of thing as far as the water and the and the uh, the you know your your hardness and your alkalinity and your your grain bill are all play together. And without knowing uh, all three of them, yeah, you're going to be in trouble. So let's take a short break, and when we get back, what we'll do is uh, get uh, a little more in-depth into these uh, these uh, uh, components of water and answer some uh, live listener questions back after this. Keep your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of their 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Their Williams German Pills is mashed with pure German Moravian two-row barley malt for a light blonde color and malty crispness you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out their unique fermenters, draft 
beer equipment, bottling aids, and more. They even have their own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection and enter promo code BREW at the order checkout for $5 off your next order over $50. Orders placed by 3 p.m. ship the same day. Again, go to williamsbrewing.com and enter promo code BREW at checkout for $5 off your next order. Brewing is easy the Williams way. Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months and then to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now, it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Hey, what are you doing, man? Writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has home brewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome. White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real-world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet. And send. There you go. You misspelled flocculate, dude. What? Uh... White Labs. It's all in the vial. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Catherine the Great Imperial Stout, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. Don't miss the Beer of the Month, special rotating taps, and happy hour all day Mondays. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. Fuel, what's it feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two. Yeah! <laughs> Spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. It's the Brewing Network. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Part of our water ganza. Um, I don't know why that sounds Extra. sounds kind of rude, you know. Little, That's kind of like ginormous the, in the Monsters vs. Aliens movie. I saw that with the kids last night. <laughs> I like the yeah, part I saw where they, too. the uh, the giant snail is slowly attacking Paris. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but that slowly part really got to me. Uh, all right, so uh, you know, in the uh, can you give us some general rules on uh, maybe ratios of uh, uh, alkalinity to hardness for a given style or a given recipe, or maybe maybe chloride to sulfate or any of those sorts of ratios? Just give us a. We're going to really dig into this into the into the next show, but uh, give us yeah. give us a taste, kind of you know where we should stand or. Okay. Well, there, there's there's different uh, looking at the different components like calcium. Let's start with calcium because calcium is an important brewing ion. It's uh, it takes takes part in a lot of uh, reactions and during during the f- brewing and fermentation process. It uh, 
it affects yeast health, um, yeast flocculation. It affects beer clarity. It affects uh, mash pH. Generally, um, scientists recommend about at least 50 parts per million of calcium in the in the wort or you know in the in the brew. Um, 50 minimum. 100 is is good. Um, if you get over 150, um, you're probably going to start swinging the pH uh, too much, depending on the style of beer you're brewing. All this is a lot of the world's brewing literature is targeted towards pale lagers because that's you know 90% of the beer that's brewed in the world is pale lager. So you always got to take information you read with a grain of salt and understand what the context is, but. Um, but let's start off with saying that 50 to 150 ppm of calcium is a good place to be when you're talking about brewing water. Uh, magnesium um, is important. It's important for yeast health. It's important to enzyme cofactor. But the, in terms of the yeast, uh, they will really get all they need from the malt itself. It's can magnesium's going to come out into solution from the malt during the mash. So even if your water has only like 10 parts per million of magnesium or something, um, the yeast will get what they need um, from from the wort itself. So that's not too important, but it's something to at least be aware of because it does take, uh, it plays a part in the whole water hardness uh, situation. Um, bicarbonate, um, you can draw lines for um, alkalinity or bicarbonate concentration. Um, zero to 50 ppm for your pale beers. Um, 50 to 150 ppm for your, you know, what your your pale ales, you know, your copper colored on up into your brown beers. Um, 50 to 150 you can usually work with, you know, throughout that range of color. Um, when you get over 150 ppm, to like 250, maybe even up to 300. There you're talking about your dark beers, your you know your uh, American Brown Ale, Brown Porter, Robust Porter, Double Bock, um, Stouts, Russian Imperial Stout. You know the really dark stuff. Um, I don't recommend going above 300 parts per million alkalinity because the the buffering capacity of malts will only take you so far. Um, you get you get into the really dark malts, um, even if you have an, I mean, if you, even if you have a really dark beer, um, too much alkalinity is going to overwhelm the buffering capacity of that malt, and the it'll throw the pH of the beer off. So, um, probably zero to two fifty is your typical range of bicarbonate that you're looking for. And let me on that note, let me touch on reading a water report. Um, to find out about your water, you need to you know, call up your city, get a get a copy of the annual water report, and look for these ions: calcium, magnesium, bicarbonate, sulfate, sodium, and chloride. Um, a lot of times, you won't see bicarbonate listed. You'll see total alkalinity as calcium carbonate, and that's fine. You can that number will will work just fine when it comes to understanding. Uh, how much alkalinity you have because uh, as that quantity, you know, total alkalinity, it doesn't really matter what the water pH is. You know how much alkalinity uh, the water has. Um, there's a there's a, a ratio for calculating or um, between the two, converting between the two bicarbonate to total alkalinity. Um, and you can read about that in the book and so on. Um, sulfate's another one you want to look at your water report for. Um, for normal beers, you're typically looking at, uh, let's see, we, you're typically looking at something like uh, 50 to 150 parts per million for, you know, most normal, more normally bitter beers. If you're looking to uh, an American pale ale or an IPA, that's when you start talking about, uh, 150 to say 350 parts per million. Um, that so that sulfate is going to really accentuate the hot bitterness and kind of dr- help dry out the palate. 
Um, sodium and chloride, you're talking uh, 0 to 150 parts per million or maybe 250 parts per million for chloride. Um, the sodium gets talked about a lot in, the, in older brewing books and in the brewing literature, but as as I've read more and more, I don't find much uh, real use of sodium. Uh, you know, I, in other words, I don't recommend adding sodium for its own sake to a beer. Um, it seems to be kind of just coming along for the ride um, in terms of if you're using baking soda or you know table salt to influence the uh, the mineral character, the chloride level of the beer. Um, chloride is definitely uh, useful in terms of, you know to round out the malt character, but sodium not so much. But it's it's good to be aware of it and look for it on your your uh, water analysis report. Um, the chloride to sulfate ratio is just that. You're looking at uh, the balance of the two. Um, yeah, with uh, if the sulfate dominates, you know is, is higher than the chloride, and that beer that beer is going to be balanced towards the bitter. If the chloride's higher, then it's going to be balanced toward the malty. And I've kind of drawn, you know, you can say like a ratio of zero, you know, from zero to a half chloride to sulfate is going to be a very, you know, uh, sulfate dominant or very bitter beer. Um, a half to three quarters is going to be kind of moderately bitter. Somewhere between three quarters and one and a quarter, you know, kind of bounding the, um, you know, the one to one area is going to be more, is going to be relatively balanced. When you get above one and a quarter to one and a half, that's going to be malty. And anything one and a half to, you know, ratio of two is going to be very malty. So it's all chloride, chloride, yeah. Chloride to sulfate ratio is all arm waving, so um, that's how those those players work. Okay, and we'll get into uh, uh, actually how to do this in in the next segment, which uh, our next show. If you're listening live, you're going to get that right now. If you're listening uh, to the podcast, then uh, you're going to have to wait uh, two weeks. Uh, to to get the next segment, so uh, let's uh, get a couple of questions in from the uh, the chat, Justin. Yeah, a couple of good ones. Uh, here's a good question about: uh, Is rainwater consistent from town to town? Is that something that changes? No, it's going to be inconsistent. Okay, um, you can have acid rain and you can have clean rain, so it'll 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 vary depending on where you live. Also, okay. even there's uh, dust and stuff that comes over from like China, and you know all that will get oh, yeah. stripped out and can can be dissolved as well, depending on the acidity of the the water. All right, and then a couple of uh, pH questions: uh, Can a lower pH affect uh, efficiency in mash? Yes, it can. Okay. If if uh, if the mash gets too acidic, and by too acidic I mean down in the fours, four and a half uh, roughly. Um, mash pH wise, then yeah, your your beta amylase will be quite inhibited, and your uh, the fermentability fermentability and the conversion of the uh, mash will suffer. Okay, and then the other pH question, just if you got, what do you guys think about the pH uh, the five point two pH buffer uh, that you know from five star products? Most of the time, it works. Okay, uh, and if I can sneak this last one in, uh, someone said, "Hey, isn't a lot of magnesium in water? Doesn't that give you the shits?" That was an important you can, question. Yes. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Philips milk of magnesia. That's what its sole that's purpose it is does. to load you up with magnesium. All right, guys, that's all from the chat. Okay, great. So uh, I think this is a good uh, education on why you would uh, want to do uh, some water adjustments, how it can improve your beer or how it could hurt your beer if you don't know what exactly you're doing, and uh, some of the components to water. So it's not just uh, uh, simply water in the in the beer, but uh, water in all its uh, constituent uh, mineral salts and things like that, and uh, that's going to affect your beer uh, one way or another. So... What we're going to do is uh, we'll wrap up this show. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors, uh, morebeer.com and clarkbrewing.com. Uh, make sure to visit them and uh, check out their products. And uh, we'll be back to continue the water ganza. we got uh, two more full shows of water information from our uh, resident expert, John Palmer. Until then, brew strong. Brew strong, everybody. <laughs>